It's good to see you all this morning. Are you doing well, church? That's great to see you. Listen, I know I don't get to tell you as much as I should, but I love you all so much. It is such a privilege to be a part of this family with you. And what a gift it is to be joined here in person and folks online, welcome to the Clear Creek Church family. Uh, We're in part three of a series called A Time to Build, which is looking at the Old Testament story of Nehemiah, a man who was so consumed by the burden of a city that he was compelled to do something about it. And we're using this as a story and as an outline, really, to explain what we're doing as a church, where we're going as a church, and why we're doing it as a church. In fact, today, if you are a guest, I know this is going to seem like insider conversation, today is a great day for you to be here. Because today, we're going to answer some of the questions that people have had about what are we doing ministry-wise at Clear Creek? What does our ministry structure look like? And you say, well, wait a minute, if I'm a guest, why does that matter to me? And here's why, here's why. Much of what we are doing is to make you more at home and help you become more like Jesus in the process. And so we're going to talk about that. In fact, today I'm going to share with you our ministry structure, what we are going to do from here on out for the next season of ministry, hopefully answer some of the questions that you all have had and make this as helpful as possible. That's why in your seat, um, and, and if you're sitting on it, you might want to stand up and get it. We have notes for you today. On one side are the teaching notes. I'm going to ask you to fill those out as we go today. I think they'll be helpful. Now, with that said, we have a lot to cover, so I'm going to invite you to grab those notes and turn with me to Nehemiah, chapter 2. We're going to get into chapter 3 today as well, but let's begin in chapter 2. We're going to look at four things that Nehemiah does, and these are postures of the heart. Last week, we looked at the plan that you have, that God may give you to be an influence wherever you are in the city. But today I want to show you what our plan is as a church. But before we can look at a plan, we have to look at some, some postures. And the first thing I want you to see here is that Nehemiah, step number one, Nehemiah stepped or left his comfort zone. Nehemiah left his comfort zone. Did you see that one little phrase? I went to, what's the name, church, out loud? Jerusalem. You say, well, what's the big deal? He went to Jerusalem. So what? How's that stepping out of his comfort zone? Well, if you've been here the previous two weeks, you know that he did not live in Jerusalem. In fact, Nehemiah lived in a place called Susa. This is a part of the Persian Empire. He lived and worked in the palace of King Artaxerxes. He was the cup bearer. You say, what does that mean? It means he had a cushy job. He lived in the best of the best places, ate the best of the best food, drank the best of the best wine, was around the most influential and affluential people in the empire. This was a cush job. And yet, because we heard about the burden he had for the broken walls and the burnt city of Jerusalem, he leaves what is comfortable, and he goes over 800 miles from Susa to Jerusalem. Now hear me. This man is a cupbearer. Do you think he had calluses on his hands, family? Nope. He was not a construction worker or a foreman. He had never built anything, to our knowledge, in his life. And yet he is stepping out of what he knows and what is familiar to help lead, not the rebuilding of a house or a neighborhood, but of an entire city. Here's the thing I want to invite you to consider. Some of the greatest blessings and breakthroughs happen on the other side of your comfort zone. 
Isn't that true? Let's just do this. Let's play a little game here. Raise your hand if this applies to you. Um, If you are married, would you raise your hand? Congratulations, you've left a comfort zone, haven't you? Men, you know the comfort zone I'm talking about. The comfort zone of, well, the, the dirty clothes hamper is not a basket, it's any surface. Am I right? Okay. You're now married, and all of a sudden your comfort zone has shrunk to a little basket. And if it doesn't, what happens? You deal with some discomfort in your relationship. Getting married leaves your comfort zone. Let's do another one. How many of you have children? Anyone in here have children? (laughs) Did you leave your comfort zone, folks? Uh Uh-huh. And now you've left your kids over there so you can get a little bit of your comfort zone back right now, correct? Let's talk about this. Okay, you don't have a spouse. Maybe you don't have kids yet. Uh, What about this one? How many of you just have a pet that requires a little bit of upkeep? You're like, well, I have kids. Isn't that the same sort of... So there are things that we do. If you leave for college from home, you've left your comfort zone. If you move to a new city or take a new job, you've left a former comfort zone, a place where you knew how things work, what to expect, and you've exchanged comfort for the potential of a great blessing or breakthrough. Nehemiah would never have seen the blessings of God or the breakthroughs of God had he stayed where he was Comfortable And friends, you and I, our growth will come in the places where we step beyond our comfort zone. In fact, God often meets us and we see him clearer when we step beyond what we are most comfortable with. The hardest moments in our, my life have always been marked by a closeness to God because I've stepped beyond what is comfortable. So first thing you see is Nehemiah left his comfort zone. Number two, the second thing I want you to see here is Nehemiah then inspected the problem. He left his comfort zone, but then he inspected the problem. Notice what it says in verse 12. I set out, this is such an interesting phrase. Notice this, I I set out during, when? The night. With a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. By night, I went out, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed, by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. These are places in the city of Jerusalem. But notice this. There was not enough room for my mount, the animal he's riding. There wasn't even enough room to get through. In other words, he is up close and personal with the problems and he sees that it is so broken and destroyed. He can't even get his animal through certain parts. The problem is worse than he imagined. Hear me now. You will never know what problems face your neighborhood, or your city from the comfort of your living room. It happens as you are interacting with the people that God loves and God has placed around you for the purpose of you sharing the good news of Jesus, both the gospel, Jesus is Lord, and the obvious evidence that you believe it in the way you care for them. It's worse than you imagine. It goes on, though. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. Why? Because as yet I had said nothing. To the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials, why? Before you're ready to give a solution, you have to know what the problem is. You have to answer some questions. What is the problem? Not just what do you see, what is the underlying cause of the problem? What is happening? And one thing I want you to notice this is the problem of the city kept Nehemiah awake at night. Do you see this? 
Quick question. What keeps you up at night? Like right now, if you were to catalog the things in your life that keep you up at night, what would you say keeps you up at night? Now, there are two reasons to be up at night. One is because you're worrying. The other is because you're working. Now, if you wake up and you are worrying, here's what you do. Pray to God. Go back to sleep. Don't stay up. If you are working, you pray to God. And if you need to, keep working. Some of you right now are working on things that are so important, it keeps you up, not out of worry, but out of a dedication to what needs to change. I want to show you what has kept the leadership of this church up, not for a few weeks or months, but years. In fact, we talked a lot about this stuff a few months ago when we did the series on the disappearing church. Do you remember that series just a few months ago? We talked about four major things that are happening in our culture and in our churches around the nation that are disturbing. Let me show you what's keeping us up at night. Right now, over the next 15 years, our city is going to grow by about 53,000 people. That's incredible. By the way, I love the fact that we are in a growing city and there will be more people to share the good news of Jesus with. Isn't that good news, church? I'm so glad you agree. That's great. So we have a city that is growing. You say, what's the bad news? Even though population numbers are growing, church affiliation over the past 25 to 30 years has dropped to an all-time low. This is just, by the way, talking about affiliation. This means you may not go to church, but you say you are a part of a church. You, you see the difference? You know you can say you belong to, say, the Clear Creek Church, but you never come. That would be you. You're affiliated, but you're not a part of. You, are, are we all tracking sort of how that works? So now the latest data shows not who attends, not who participates, but the people who are a part of the church in name only has dropped to only 47%. And the stats are even worse than that. You remember what we talked about a few months ago. Four major, well-respected sociologists and statisticians who have looked at what's going on in our country have said this. They have said, this is Christian Smith, David Olson, Christine Wicker, and the Barna Group, have all come to the conclusion that the number of committed Christians is not 47%. It's not 40%. It's not 20%. The number of, per, of committed Christians in America is between 7 and 9%. And we are a Christian nation? Hello. And you want to know, not only are we shrinking, but do you want to know the group that is leaving the very fastest? It is your children and my children who are in their 20s. They leave here, they leave other churches, they go to college, and sometime in their 20s, they say, it's not for me. Friends, this should bother us. Amen? Our kids, the next generation, our neighbors, our city is worth more than our indifferent attitude. And I must confess, too often I'm more, in, I'm more interested or concerned with what happens here on Sunday morning than how God is working throughout the church, throughout the city, throughout the week. This should bother us, family. Because when you see walls broken and cities crumbling, the response of those who have been touched by the Spirit of God is to say something has to change, somebody has to do it, and I am that somebody. In fact, he goes on, he says, okay, we've got to do something about this. So number three, Nehemiah invites others to join the mission. 
Notice he doesn't do it all himself. Instead, he says this, then I said to them, these are the Israelites living in the rubble. By the way, we are Christians often living in the rubble of our city. So this applies to us. He says, you see the trouble we are in. Friends, do you see the trouble that the American church is in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. It's not enough just to report the news. Notice what he does next. Come, let us rebuild. Not just me and you all watch. Not just you and I tell you what a good job you're doing. Let all of us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And so they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. He says, it's too big for any one of us to tackle the problems facing this generation. And friends, what we're facing in the city is far too great. What you're facing in your own homes is far too great. We need each other. Last night, our dear brother Bobby, um, his sister passed away. That is a family issue. And when I say family, it is not just his family, but all those who love him, we now rally to Bobby. Amen? By the way, just a show of hands, how many of you have had Bobby or Carol show up to a family or a loved one's funeral at some point? Just go ahead, put your hands up real high, look around. And by the way, at the second service, those hands will be double. So when we talk about we do this together, it means we do all of this together, family. We celebrate the wins, we mourn the losses, we push on towards the goal that Christ has called us to. Amen? We do this together. They started building. And so I want to share with you what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Because here's the reality. In years past, the way that the world worked, the way that the church worked is if you want to be a part of the church, what do you do? You go to the church, right? Every Sunday, every Sunday night. How many of you, by the way, remember Sunday night services? I remember it because that was the only time that the preacher would let us, who could not sing, get up and lead songs. I loved it. No one else did, but I did. So you go to church if you want to be encouraged. You go to church building if you want worship. You go to the church if you want to be instructed. You go to the church if you want child care. Some of us still do that, don't we? But here's what we've just seen. The world is not coming to the building which means the church has to go to the world. This has always been Christ's call. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples. So before I show you what we're going to do, you need to understand our operation, our thinking is shifting. Yes, we will continue to gather. This place will become more and more a training center for the purpose of launching us out for the mission of God. And I'm going to show you how we're already in the middle of that and some of the ways I'm really excited that we're pushing into that. So grab that sheet of paper. Here we go. I want to walk you through that triangle. You're like, what is this? Are we building the pyramids? Yes and no. Let me show you what we're doing here. By the way, this is you in the city. We'll move on, though. Here's where I want you to look. Number one, at the very top, I want you to write in the words, mission. Mission. If you have really small handwriting, write in the extra words, reach the next person for Jesus, because that's our mission. You say, wait a minute, Josh. I mean, come on, come on, come on. Is that, our, is that really the church's mission? Yeah. 
Again, Matthew 28, Jesus says, this is what you are here to do. We've simply given it a different wording for the same idea. Now, why is this one at the top, friends? It's because this is our top priority. If you want to get real cutesy, it is the point of everything else. I know it's cheesy, but if you remember it, this is our point. This is why we're here. Friends, if you're a guest this morning, you need to know this is why we are here. This is what gets us up in the mornings. In fact, there's this curious little phrase in verse 1 of chapter 3. I don't know if you noticed it, but notice this. We're told as they begin the process of building, it says Eliashib, the high priest, meaning he's the priest over all the other priests, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the, say these two words with me, ready? Sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place. You say, why is that a big deal? Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, correct? All right, let me just answer it for you. Yes. The Holy Spirit of God inspired men and women to write down what we now hold as sacred text. Things are in there for a purpose. What you need to know is this is the first place that was rebuilt in the city. Jerusalem, we'll look at this in next week and week after. Jerusalem is a large area, or there's an area with a large uh, wall around it with 12 different gates throughout. Near the north is the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate is where, during the religious ceremonies, they would bring all of the sheep that were possibly going to be used for sacrifice. They would march them through the gate outside the city, and right there were some pools. They would shear the sheep, take off all the wool, They would then put the sheep in the water, clean them up, and then they would inspect them for any spot or blemish. And only the perfect sheep could be used as sacrifice for the sins of the people. Centuries later, after this, there's a man named Jesus Christ who comes on the scene. And we are told that every time he either enters or leaves the city, with only one exception, every time he comes through, we're told the sheep gates. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who came into the city proclaiming the good news, left the city. In fact, many scholars believe this is the gate through which he went, leaving the city, carrying his cross to Calvary. Because Jesus is the one who brings life through his death. He is the perfect Lamb of God, inspected shown to be perfect, and died for you and me. The reason it starts with the sheep gate is because the mission is always to bring people to the Lamb of God and through the gate of his blood. Are you tracking with me? This is why it's our mission. And what we do as a church has to adapt and adjust to always, always, always fulfill the mission for which Christ has called us. So how are we going to do this? Let me give you the two things that sit under this. By the way, everything we do, each level supports the one above is the way we think. Missions at top, there are two things we're going to do as a church, and we're going to focus exclusively focused on these two things. Number one is Sundays, and the second thing is groups. Now, we're going to rename them. I'm going to give you that next week. But here's what you need to know. On Sundays, we're going to focus, as we have been for some months now, on two things. Now, your kids, by the way, we're still doing worship for them, and we're doing classes for them. All that's the same. But for us, we're inviting you, and we're organizing around two things. We're asking you to come and be a part of a worship gathering every Sunday. Congrats. Today, starting now, you have 100% perfect attendance. Good job. Come to worship. Don't just come and receive. Come prepared to contribute. You say, how do I do that? By listening, by singing, 
by participating not just with your lips and ears, but with your hearts. And the second thing we're going to ask you to do is to serve sometime on Sunday. We, in fact, are removing obstacles or things that might compete with you serving. That's why the options we have right now for equipping you are things like joining a growth, uh, the growth trek, four weeks, so you can learn how to be part of the church. If you're new and not a part of the church, we're going to show you how to get invested and involved, how to serve, how to make meaningful friendships on purpose. Be a part of the, uh, the, the, the Kickstarter small groups. If you're not in a missional community, that's where you get to taste it for about six to eight weeks and see if that's a good fit for you. If not, try another group. It's just our way. What we're doing is these are short-term options, so you're not stuck in there forever, but you can come out and serve the body. You say, why are we focused on service? It's because that's what Jesus focused on, friends. Do you remember what he said? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. And be a ransom for many. And then in John, we're told this other thing. The night before he dies, no one else would wash the feet of their brothers and sisters because they had nasty, janky feet. You know what that's like if you have kids. But Jesus Christ gets down and he washes their feet and then he makes this statement. Put this on slide. He says, you will be blessed if you do this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do. If you do what? If you serve one another. In other words, here's my question to you. Who is better off today? Who has been blessed today because you are here? Who has been served today? You say, well, I wasn't on rotation today. Fine, who was blessed last week? But we want to make this top priority because our goal is not simply to learn more. It is to be more like Jesus Christ every day in every way. Does this make sense, family? So you're going to see, we're going to talk a lot more about worship and service. Okay, what about groups? Well, I don't have time to get into those today. Come back next week because we've got a lot to share with you. But here's what you need to know. Our groups are going to focus more around these three things. Focusing up, focusing in, focusing out. You say, what does that mean? I'm not going to tell you today. You've got to come back. But we're going to talk about it next week because I think for some of you, you have not been a group because you're like, it sounds boring, lifeless, purposeless. I don't think I want... Next week, for so many of you, you're going to say, how can I be a part of that? So you come back, we'll talk about it. What I want you to see, though, is this line supports the one above. What we're doing here and here is to support what we do here. Now, you say there's one more section. Very good. The final section, and what we've already begun doing, is we are going to continue offering periodic, action-oriented, obedience-based discipleship training, seminars, and workshops. These are to help you become more like Jesus where you live, work, and play. That's what these are. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, guess what? We've already done a couple of them, and we're scheduled to do a whole bunch more. Here is the remaining year's schedule. So in June, we had Discover Your Spiritual Gifts. That was a one-night workshop to help jumpstart the process of figuring out how God has gifted you so you can serve the church and save the city. That's what. In July, right now, we're going through a series called How We Got Here, looking at the history of our movement, the Stone Campbell movement, the restoration movement, because where we came from is really kind of tied into where we're going. And in fact, we're going to be dealing with a lot of interesting things over the course of the next three weeks. And then in August, we're going to have a missional communities workshop. You say missional communities. Yeah, that's what we're calling our groups. So we're going to train you on how to do it, but it's not just training. It's like, why? What? 
It's going to be a lot of fun. You need to be a part of it. It's going to be a great time. In September, we're going to help, help you raise your parenting IQ with raising disciples at home through a parenting class. And if you're like me, I will take advice from almost anyone because I want to do a better job of ensuring that my kids love Jesus when they leave home. And then in October, we've got a very practical way of inviting people into a discipleship relationship with you. It's our discipleship diamond. We're going to walk you through it, but it's to show you how to be a disciple maker and a disciple wherever you are, wherever you go. And finally, in November, I'm going to teach you how to study the Bible. This is going to be a perennial study that we do because studying the Bible is important to Christians, is it not? Three of you agree. That's wonderful. It is. So we're going to talk about it. Now, this is our missional structure. This is what we are doing. And if you, I'm convinced of this, if the idea of making a difference in your generation stirs your heart, we've got something for you here. We've got something for you. If it doesn't stir your heart, we love you. You show up. We may not have what you want, though. But if your heart is to see this city changed, not so we can bang our chest and say, look how good we are, but because you know the hope you have in Jesus and want others to have it as well. You come alongside. You join this mission. Now, I know there's some big questions that come up when we talk about this. I want to. I know our time is tight, but I'm going to take it because I want you to know these things. I want to run through very briefly three questions that we've been asked and maybe you felt. These are really important questions. We want to give you good answers. Here's the first question. Yeah, well, what about my kids? What about the youth? Anyone else care about their kids in the youth ministry? Anyone here care about the next generation? Well, then this answer ought to help you a little bit. Here's what you need to know. We're going to continue doing four things and increasingly a couple of these. Number one, on Sundays, we will continue to offer faith, fun, safe, age-appropriate teaching, and worship for your kids. You bring them, we will bless them. Okay? Throughout the week, you say, what about that? Well, let me tell you, we've got some great stuff that we're working on, things that we've already begun doing. So throughout the week, we are offering periodic workshops that creatively connect the Bible with your children's interests. Some of the ones we've done in the past have included studying the Bible and baking. In fact, this happened at the Spry House, I believe. Uh, we, we've had technology and Jesus for the boys. Why? Because the boys seem to have these devices surgically attached to their bodies. And so we figure, let's teach them about Jesus while they're doing something they love. Anyone else like doing things you like? Period. Yes, of course. So we're going to help them with that. Future options may include things like puppets or drama or, 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 or various outdoor activities. Why? Our goal is not to simply put kids in a room. Our goal is to put Jesus into our kids and to show them that discipleship can happen anywhere, anytime, with anything they're doing. And by the way, some of those workshops are going to happen in your home and in your neighborhood. Some of you are going to become spiritual mamas and daddies to our kids because you're going to say, oh, I have an interest here. I can help them. And Laura will work with you on it. Now, you say, well, what about, what about uh, the, the kids with other stuff? Well, guess what? When we're doing the discipleship training for all of you, if you've signed your children up, 
they will receive various levels of instruction while you're being discipled here in one of the discipleship trainings. So we're going to be raising your kids up there. What about the youth? Well, the youth continue to have, well, for senior high, they're going to have Crave. They're going to have Cornerstone for middle school. They will continue to have Wednesday night activities. They will have some of their things as well. My point is this. We love your kids, and we will continue to partner with you in raising them up. Now, the final thing I want to mention to you is this. We're going to equip you to disciple your kids. You know this as well as we do. Even if we could raise your kids for you, it is not God's call on us to do that. And we don't have as much access to your kids. You get your kids at the most important moments of their lives. And we want to help you be better at raising. You say, well, my kids are grown. We want to help you raise grandchildren who love Jesus and nieces and nephews. So this is what you can expect from us going forward. Next question that's going to come up is, well, where do I take my guests on Sunday? What do I do with my friends when they come to church? Because after all, we all have unchurched friends who need Jesus. In fact, one of the things we did at the end of our class on Monday night, homework, was you need to talk to an unchurched friend and ask them, what do they know about the churches of Christ? What is their impression? And then just listen. Don't, 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 don't correct them. Why? Because we all have friends who need Jesus, right? So the question is, what do I do with my friends when I bring them on Sunday? So you've been praying for a friend. They finally say, yes, they'll come. What do you do? Well, let me give you three things. Number one, we're going to invite you to bring them to the cafe or the lobby. Why? Because they need to meet your friends very much. Your job is to connect them with as many of your friends, give them as many names and as many phone numbers as possible so that when they come back, and you're busy serving or you're not here, they still have a community that knows them, that recognizes them, that says, you can sit with me. Don't you want your friends to have someone who will always invite them to be a part of the gatherings, to be a part of the church? By the way, we're going to set up some things in the cafe and the lobby to try to make that more conducive to you introducing friends. we got some creative ideas that we're going to try. If they don't work, we'll try other ones. But we want to help you there. Number two, once they start asking questions, say, okay, what next? Go with them to growth track. You be their concierge. You say, I've already been through growth track. Fine. You help them navigate their next steps. By the way, had a great experience and a real bad experience at two different hardware stores recently. Bad experience? Going to a hardware store, don't know where I'm, what I'm looking for. I said, I think it's this thing. Where do I find it? And the guy says, it's over there. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Do I look like a construction expert? Have you seen my selection of shirts? They are not flannel. Going to another place. I'm looking for this. And the person says, oh, I will take you. Come with me. It's right here. Is that the right size? What do you think about this? They walked me through the process. One person cared enough to go while the other one only showed. Our call is to go with those into the places, walk them through it so they understand what it means to be a part of this family that you and I love so much. And then number three, after they say, well, what's next? You invite them to serve with you where you are serving because you're serving, right? And if you're not, you join us out here in the lobby this morning. You tell them, I want to know how to serve and we'll help you do that. Now, third question that always comes up, and I want to give this to you very quickly and we're going to wrap things up here, is the question, well, what about my next step? We've had a lot of conversation on ministry structure and everything else, and I'm just going, Josh, what do I do? I'm so glad you're asking that question. By the way, I'm always impressed that you ask the questions that I'm about to address. That is so great how we're just on the same page like that. Thank you. 
So you're asking, what's my next step? Let me give you very briefly. Here they are. It's just what we already talked about. Come prepared to worship and bless others in service on Sunday. You come prepared. Say, God, I'm here to be a blessing to others, and I want to receive a blessing from you. By the way, friends, God has given you a spiritual gift to be a blessing to others. If you do not serve, you are not only robbing from the church, you are stunting your own spiritual growth. Because God has given you a gift, and you will grow as you use your gift for the glory of God and the good of the church and the city. So you come, you be prepared to do these things. Some of you say, well, yeah, but I got some physical limitations. I can't do what I used to do. That's okay. If you can write notes, if you can make phone calls, if you can sit in a chair and look pleasant for a few minutes as people walk by, we've got a place for you. In fact, we have a group called the Encouragement Team that is meeting right now, and they have written hundreds of letters to people in our church, in our schools, to city officials, all over the city already. You have a place if you want to. You say, yeah, but I got kids. It's a busy season of life. I don't... Hey, if you come at 9.30 and drop kids off, they're taken care of. So the issue is no longer an issue, is it? I found that I can always find an answer if I'm really looking for one. Because the fact is, God has gifted you for a purpose for the church and for the city. Number two, we're going to ask you to join, start, or actively engage in your missional community. It's your small group, but we're going to help you as we navigate this new season. Again, next week we'll talk about it. And number three, attend workshops and seminars that help you grow as a disciple of Jesus. Some of these will apply to you, some may not, so you go to the ones that do. But take your next step. Now, these are the three things. Number one, he left his comfort zone. Number two, he explored and examined the problem. Number three, he invited others to the mission. But number four, and this is so important, don't don't miss this, please hear me, hear me. You need to know something. He expected opposition as well. Anytime you step into a new season or follow the Lord or say yes to something, you will face opposition, church. It's going to happen. Notice what happens. But when Sanballat, by the way, did you notice in the video they had a child reading all the bad, tough names to read? I was like, way to go, mom and dad. Pass it off. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. There will be opposition. There will be critics to anything good you try to do. But what does he do? I love this. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the kings? They're trying to scare him a little bit as well. And notice Nehemiah's response, two responses. And by the way, in two weeks... We're going to talk about what to do with critics because you're going to face them. We're all going to face them. We're going to talk about how to answer criticism and critics in two weeks. But I want to show you just two things they say. Number one, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. God is in control and we trust him with what we're doing. We're going to listen to him. And number two, notice this. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. They did not let the critics... They did not let the dissenting voices stop them from doing what God had called them to do. Friends, don't you dare let a couple of naysayers keep you from stepping into what God calls you to do. The mission is too big. The opportunity is too great. Heaven is too wonderful. Hell is too hot. And eternity is too long for a few voices keeping us from doing what God calls us to do. Amen.